0: Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. You can be seated this morning as we go to the Word of God. One John And we're going to be in chapter 4 in a couple of minutes. And if you're visiting Rivers Church today, we are dealing with the book of 1 John. Across all our campuses, we're dealing with a book of the Bible in order to help you study the Bible for yourself. And I have chosen to do 1 John because of the content of it and the way it addresses current patterns and trends In our world and we do need to be studious years ago we had bible study we now have college during the week but it's important for the congregation to now to study the bible Theodore Roosevelt said this about bible study he said a thorough knowledge of the bible is worth more than a college education no educated man can afford to be ignorant of the bible In fact, you can be educated in college and not know the Bible, you're still quite ignorant because God is the life source and the Bible teaches us about life. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said, Bible study is the metal that forges a Christian. So make notes, don't just stay into space unless you have an incredible capacity for attention because in a moment we're gonna go to chapter four but here's the thing, I need to recap. And if you weren't in the meeting, or if you've forgotten, this book is so important because it's one of the five books that John wrote. He wrote three letters, two of them to persons, one of them, the one we're doing, to the churches of Asia Minor. He then wrote the book of Revelation, and he wrote the gospel of John. So he's an important figure in the New Testament, and each of his books makes a different particular emphasis that we need to know. AD 95, AD 100, he was the last one alive, and the churches had begun to enter into heresy. They started to teach false doctrines, some of them present today, being taught by young preachers with skinny jeans and leather jackets and and looking very cool, and we need to be aware of it so that we're not duped by wrong doctrine and personality. Are you with me? And so he teaches uh, against some of the stuff that they were experiencing. And if you read it out of context, you won't understand it. When you read your Bible, you go, what does this mean? And uh, they had two doctrines that were false. Docetism, which is a doctrine by Cerinthus, a man who said that matter is evil and God is good. You say, well, does it matter? Yes. They didn't believe that Jesus, God's only son, could come into a human body. So he was just a good teacher, someone who had, had, had got the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And uh, we'll talk about that as we go through the book. Then you'll understand why it says certain things. He, he got it at his baptism, and God helped him do good. And then at the cross, it left him, and uh, he was just a dead man. And that is not true. The deity of Christ was at risk. And in chapter 1, he teaches against that doctrine that Jesus was just a man. He says he was the only son of God. See, if matter is evil and God is good, this is what they said. As long as your spirit is given to God, you can do what you like in your body. God has forgiven your sins, your spirit is saved, and whatever you do in the body doesn't matter because God loves you. And if you look at the world today, the love of God has been taken to such an extreme that Christians think that they can do as they like. And they're even advocating heinous, perverted behaviors that God doesn't condone and they're telling the church to get with the times. This book is relevant for right now and you not need not be confused, you need to be informed. So he deals with the deity of Christ, he deals with sin. If we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. Very important for me to recap this. And then there was another doctrine, other than docetism, it was known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. They believed they had special knowledge. And so if you fasted or you read certain things, you could become superior, and as a result, it divided the church. That's why the word love is mentioned throughout the book. It is not the word eros for sexual love. It is family love, agape, between brothers and sisters in the church that was being damaged because some thought they were superior. Some thought they could just carry on sinning, and the church was being fractured, and here this elder John, who had walked with Jesus, saw this stuff and wrote into that context. Are you with me? So, we don't have time to recap everything today, but he's talked about us overcoming. He's talked about us not being influenced by the world. Do not fall into sin. Do not fall away. Do not be deceived. And, uh, and, and I want you just to remember this as I start. Of. You might be sitting here saying, well, is this important? Couldn't you have given me something to help me succeed at work? It's more important that you know what you believe than you look at temporal success. Because here's the thing. What you believe is how you will live. And if your belief system is wrong, your lifestyle will be wrong. A lot of people have tried to convince themselves of certain things because then they can justify the way they live. And my goal is to teach you sound doctrine so that you'll have a sound life and you'll honor God and you'll please the Lord. Does that make sense? And so chapter 4, 21 verses, I'm going to read it in sections. It'll be easier than reading it in a big chunk and then unpacking it. And you'll find the word spirit, if you're making notes, mentioned five times lowercase s very important that you note that as we read on the screens and then the word love or loved 24 times and then it's the third time that the subject of love is brought up by John it's almost like he's repeating himself and you mustn't go oh we we heard that last week you need to understand he's going deeper and he's addressing an issue are you with me and uh, then you read the word recognize, or the word know, depending on the translation, you'll see on the screen, both words are used in the NIV, in other words, you, knowledge, they had superior knowledge, but here he's saying how you can know true knowledge, and true spirituality, and um, before I get to start here with point one, we can look at it under three main headings, with some, subpoints here, and there, just to help you break it up, but D.A. Carson, was a phenomenal Bible theologian and scholar. And he said this, and this this I want to say as we start to unpack the scriptures. He says, we are dealing with God's thoughts. We are obligated to take the greatest pains to understand them truly and to explain them clearly. So if I go into detail, don't go, smack yourself and say, hey, pay attention. Because this is God's thoughts written by the Holy Spirit. Let's get serious with them. So, number one, the first heading we're going to look at, John in this chapter, tells us that we need what's called the discerning of spirits. We need to know how to discern the spirits, and we'll look at it under three main headings here. First, discerning spirits, and we'll come to something else. But under this heading. We, we need to understand what he's talking about. Many of you would have, uh, or, or are in the church actually, maybe at home, are bird watchers. Any bird watchers in the church? Uh, a okay, bird watcher right in front here. You, you need a book. And uh, I have a friend who lives overseas who's a bird watcher. And it's terrible. When you go to the Pillansburg, he just pipes up. There's a red-breasted da 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 And I'm like, what? He just, just was like, Phew. I'm like, it's a bird. The big birds are small birds. bird with a long tail. But when you start to read the book, the nuances of the feathers in the light, the certain call, you start to be able to discern what bird it is. And when you're bird watching, these books are absolutely essential. When you're discerning spirits, John's characteristics and identifying markers of false spirits are very clear. And he's giving us some nuances here, lest we go, it doesn't matter. We need to be discerning today as to what's flying past us and what's flying into our heads via the internet. Now, television and the internet are not evil. It's sad to say that a lot of what is presented on it is, and you need to be discerning, and can I encourage you occasionally, use the on and off button. So, John, here in chapter four and verse one, we will read uh, six verses, and we'll break it into sections. And uh, you'll notice it's not demonic spirits, it's a spirit, the S is the heart of a person or the mind of a person. And he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, many, not just some, not just one, many. This is how you can recognize, remember we spoke about the word recognize or know, the Spirit of God, capital S. Every lowercase spirit that acknowledges, that's the human spirit, that Jesus Christ, in other words the Christ, the Messiah, has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit or human being speaking, teaching that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. You see, here's the context again. Because greater, sorry, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of, of the world. I want you to remember that. And the world listens to them. Let's just pause there. It's so important that you learn to discern what is of the world and what is of the church. Because today everything's been thrown in a mixing bowl. No, no, no. And here's the thing, you might have very lovely family members, very nice colleagues at work, very decent people who are living under the common goodness of God's grace who tell you, no man, I, I, I believe in this and I believe in that and you people mustn't be so rigid. Sorry, he says here, there's only two beliefs. One is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and the other is the Spirit of Antichrist. Sorry if you're a relative, a brother, a sister, an uncle or auntie, this is what the Word of God says. you know, we don't argue about gravity. If your uncle or auntie tells you there's no such thing as gravity, you say, come here, let me push you off the first floor. They'll quickly agree with you. But when it comes to the most important things like morality, well, we all have our opinion. No, we don't. It's as strong as the law of gravity, the law of morality. And that's why we've got problems in our world. Now, let me finish here. He says, And and I want you to notice here, he says, Christians often quote this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As if you are stronger than an unchristian. Sometimes you aren't. I've come across unsaved people who are more disciplined than me and thinner than me. That's not what it's saying. It's saying the spirit of God in you is stronger in truth than the spirit of the world that brings lies. And you need to know that and not doubt what God's put in you. That's why context of Scripture. So many Scriptures are pulled out of context and used and posted and used on screens and used on the internet. And whole messages are preached on them and they're wrong. You need to know what we believe. Are you with me? Now he says, we are, we'll finish off here, verse 6, we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. So the church is God's agent of speaking God's mind. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit, notice, uppercase of truth and the spirit, lowercase of falsehood. Do you notice those nuances there? See, so people speak out of the human spirit because we are spirit, soul, and body, and people get ideas and doctrines, but the, the Holy Spirit lives in us through Jesus, and he gives us the truth. Massive difference between ideologies, religions and the truth of God's word, and so here, he's telling us two things, firstly, if you're making notes, do not be gullible, but test, I've discovered that people are incredibly guv- gullible, and he says here, many false prophets have gone out into the world, this is right, this wrong teaching, and we need to now to discern preachers, teachers, they seem so charismatic, and full of revelation, but we can be swayed, And uh, anytime someone doesn't recognize Jesus Christ as God's only son, that's the Antichrist. No matter how nice they are, no matter how educated they are, we need to understand. And the early church had a a kind of a, the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and so it was quite hard for them to discern because there were lots of manifestations. William Barclay uh, gives important background material in his commentaries on the early church. And if you ever get a chance to read William Barclay, He's now passed away. I've got all these commentaries. I've had them for some 40 years. And he says this. He says, behind this warning is a situation of which we in the modern church know little or nothing. In the early church, there was a surging life of the spirit which brought its own perils. There were so many and such diverse spiritual manifestations that some kind of test was necessary. Let us try to think ourselves back into that electric atmosphere. You've got to kind of remind yourself what was going on. And guess what? We're living in that electric atmosphere today where everybody considers that they are speaking by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? And you can watch m- meetings on TV, and they, they, you know, 5,000, 10,000 people are there, and people are being falling over and being pushed, and all sorts of things are happening. You've got to still test it. I, as a pastor, after all these years, don't go to a conference and go, praise God. I'm like, hmm. Even the songs we sing, I'm careful of. You know, in the song set today, I noticed that we sang one song that was all about us. I'm running to the Father. I'm, 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 and then we sang a song all about Him. And I prefer to sing more about Him than about me. Because my experience is irrelevant, even if it's real. His truth is much more important. Are you with me? Now, I'm not saying we mustn't do it. I'm just saying you have to think in today's world, because you are being flooded with ideas, and so-called inspiration, and especially songs, if a song is inspiring, we love it, I've seen when we, when they just, they just start playing two, three notes of a certain song, and the congregation, hallelujah, praise God, and I'm like, your favorite, is it the words, is it the tune, is it that it gets your bottom going, it's more than that, And truth is more than, wow, we have to test. But he says, you've got to look through and you've got to see. And I want you to remember, there were house churches at the time of John. You need to remember people were in homes and they didn't always have elders. They didn't have people they could ask questions of. So letters like this were extremely important in helping people because they were in close contact with others and they were being influenced by others. They were being preyed upon by others. And these doctrines had infiltrated the church. We've got to be careful that we don't measure everything emotionally, but we also measure it rationally. Are you with me? We don't just want to knowledge religion, but we do need to think as believers if we're going to survive these times. I want to say this to you. This is a fact of life. People are gullible. And I know you're saying, they are gullible. Yeah, we're all gullible. I've been hoodwinked by charismatic people. Afterwards to go, I'm quite embarrassed that that person actually influenced me. How many of you watched the Netflix movie that's come out recently called uh, Stay Sweet, Pray and Obey? Thousands of people hoodwinked by two men using the Bible hmm, and claiming to speak from God. Their property today is worth 1.5 billion rand people believed, followed, gave their money, underage girls slept with him and his father, this uh, Jeff, Warren Jeffs, and uh, the FLDS, uh, the fundamental Latter-day Saints, and this man had 69 wives, I mean it's hard enough finding one, but 69 women married this man, And the majority of them, 14, 15 years old. Why? Because they thought they were hearing from God and that it was revelation. And people gave them money and are still doing it, even though he's got life in prison. People are gullible. You and I are gullible, otherwise this book wouldn't have been written. Are you with me? And I know I'm stressing it here, but we must know what we're called to believe. And Let me just say this. We are not called to test every Christian. These people on the internet who are testing everybody. It's not of God. You shouldn't have to, I don't believe your doctrine, Pastor Andre. We're going to go to the leadership. We're going to discipline you. Now, don't become a Pharisee, but start to discern. Hang on a minute. This goes against scripture. This is actually not right. This is incredibly impressive. This is very charismatic, but it's not of God. Are you with me? And especially when it comes to influence in your life, you're on the internet, you're open to all these things that you think are incredible, but a lot, lot of them are very good presentations and are good communicators, but there's not sound doctrine. I have to say that to you. Sorry, it's a negative thing to say. We have to know our Christology. What's Christology and soteriology? Christology is all of the doctrine of Jesus, and soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. Jesus died for all your sins, but you have to appropriate it by faith, and then you have to walk in it daily. He didn't die for your past sins, present sins, and future sins, and no matter what you do, He loves you, because that's what's being taught today by numerous people. No, you have to receive saving grace, then you need refreshing grace. Do you understand that? That's soteriology. It's the understanding of salvation. John here is writing about that. And then the second thing is, do not be aligned, but overcome. So don't align yourself with these wrong things. Don't align yourself with false spirits and wrong doctrine, but overcome that thinking. And you see the phrases, from God, or from the world, of God and of the world. You n- mustn't align yourself with the things of the world, the way the world thinks, You have to overcome. And the word overcome there is quite interesting in the Greek. It is the word nikeo, which means, if you look on the screen, victory after a conflict of resisting the false teachers. That's what that word actually meant. It didn't mean overcoming the desire for another smoke or, you know, overcoming the desire to sniff cocaine. No, it's actually talking about overcoming wrong teaching because your mind is more important first than than actually your body. If your mind is right, your body will be in order, and we focus a lot on fleshly sins that we do need discipline to overcome, but here he's actually talking about mental overcoming and not aligning yourself, testing everything, and being a discerning Christian. Can you do that without being negative? I'm sure you can. Can you say amen? Otherwise, it becomes like, ooh, Pastor Andre told us that this morning. Then everything you look at, you're like, no, you mustn't be suspicious. You need to be discerning. There's a difference. Make sense? Number two, I hope this is helping you. Gosh, the time flies when you're teaching from such intense stuff. But number two, the second theme he comes back to again is love one another. Why? Because there was pride, there was separation, there was superior knowledge. And, uh, And what they say here is what they're saying today. He says, God is love. But listen, church, listen. That doesn't mean love is God. No, no, God is love, but love isn't God. So if you say, well, but I love that person. Uh, They married, or they're the same sex as me. No, that doesn't make it right. See, what we're trying to do, as long as we use the word love, then everything under that banner is acceptable, because if God is love, then love is God. No, no, God is love, and we love in the way He loved. Some of you are choking on this this morning in this early morning cold. You see, even people like St. Augustine, who we revere and quote, St. Augustine was uh, quite a a radical guy, slept around, drank, and behaved badly. And he says of his pre-conversion days, listen to this, he says this in his Confessions, a book he's written called Confessions. He says, I loved not yet, yet I loved to love. I sought what I might love in love with loving." Just leave it on the screen for a moment. This is what people are saying today. As long as I feel. We started watching a movie last night, and this woman, her husband travels, and then she suddenly starts making friends with her husband's friend. And then suddenly, you know, know, there's that moment. uh, (sighs) (laughs) Let's run away together. And I'm thinking, you're living on the shores of the Italian Riviera. And you want to run away with this guy who's already broken up one marriage. What's wrong with you? But I, I, I'm in love. No, you're in love with loving. Love is much more than a feeling. Jesus on the cross didn't hang there going, oh, I love you, I love you. Father, take this cup from me. When nails are being driven through your palms, that's when you find out what real love is. That's when fathers find out what love is. When kids are howling and screaming and they're dirty nappies and the budget's tight and you carry on. That's love. Frederick Buchner was an American preacher and he said this To say that love is God is romantic idealism see, we need to look at what love is here, and I want to read here. Firstly, you can write this down. There are three sections we can look at under here. Firstly, God is the source of all love. That's what John is saying. And if God is the source of love, then we'll look later at how God models love, and if He models it, then we know how love works. But firstly, God is the source of all love, and we'll start reading from verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Whoever loves has been born of God. So, so just let me stop there. It's obvious that if someone doesn't know Jesus and doesn't walk with God, just because they love someone, they can't be born of God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're a Christian and you're saved, then the natural outflow is love. Because if God lives in you and is the source of love, love should flow out of you. It's not just intellectual. He says, whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And so here he's telling us that God is the source of love. And uh, we can't be united with God and then be proud and separate from Christians in the church. It's got to be love in action. And uh, the sign that someone is a Christian is that they love. They behave in a loving way. How many of you know that if you look at a compass... A compass automatically points north. Isn't that true? Why? It's not something mysterious. It's the pull of the earth. So whenever you lift a compass up, no matter how you walk, it'll always pull towards north. The same is true of a Christian. A Christian has to love. Why? Because it's the pull of God in them. It's the most natural thing to do, to love one another. It's not human, not humanitarian. It's not to score political points. Let me go to a township and appear there and give a gift parcel so that they think we love them. No, it's not that pretense. It's a genuine, loving and caring. Much deeper than laws. Racism shouldn't exist in the church because it's much deeper than laws. And when the church is, you can clap, and Everyone else will clap with you. Thank you. It's much deeper than that. That's why it's so easy to misunderstand the church when we speak honestly. Because now you think we're speaking politically. No, we're not. We have to be honest, like in families. Where we have to talk about things. But racism is not a Christian behavior. Because everyone is equal. And we love people from the heart. But we will challenge behavior. We will challenge certain patterns. The Apostle Paul did that in Scripture. So we've got to be careful that we don't keep jumping on a political bandwagon but that we stay rooted in the church and that it's the source of love is from God, then the source of love should be in us. The second thing here is God models what genuine love is. Are you being helped this morning? Gosh, I know it's very quiet in this building, but trust that you're receiving something. God models love for us. And John goes on to say here, this is how God showed his love among us. His example He sent his one and only son. By the way, if you're looking at notes, you're making notes, that's the only reference in this whole book about God's one and only son. It's in the Gospels, but here John brings out this point that Jesus' uniqueness. And he says here, he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Don't want you to miss this here. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, now look at this verse on the screen here, it doesn't stop there, it could, it could so easily stop there, that he loved us and sent his son, how many of you understand it could stop there, but he didn't just send his son to love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for sin, because sin is what separates you from God, the world reads this and says, you see, Jesus came to just love. He just wants to love. And the, the church must stop being condemning. The church must stop focusing on truth. The church is full of bigots. The church is full of hypocrites. No, no, we understand that Jesus came to first deal with our sin because sin is the issue that separates us from God and from other people. So how can we introduce sin into the church and call it love? Selah, think about that. Some of you are like, huh? You need to process some of this. See, God's love is not a soppy love. He saw sin, and he saw that sin needed atoning for. And that's how he sent his son into the world, to die for sins. That's the primary reason came, Jesus came. His primary reason was, I want you to be successful in business. Double your profits next year. <laughs> no, no. Jesus came to do much more, and then as a result of what he did, we now have access to God, and we see some of those benefits, but that's not the number one thing, and in fact, when we preach the good news, the good news is that you don't need to be separated from God by your sin, that's the primary, see, this is soteriology, the understanding or the doctrine of salvation, and now when when God models love for us, we need to love other believers in the same way, we don't love believers because they love us, we love them because he loved us. So when you're walking through the car park, you don't look down so that you can avoid greeting someone like people in our state do. When we go for a walk, there's some who go, hi, morning. There are others who, I'm busy. Or others have got their earpieces in, and if they can avoid just saying hello, they will. Now you're not like that. You should be walking from, hi, hi. Hi, hi, hi. Sorry, I forgot you. Hi, how's it? Hello, hi. Would you like a coffee? Come with me, buy you a coffee. Come on. He first loved us. He didn't wait for us to show interest and then, oh, okay. Some of you, you're single. You're looking for a partner. Start loving and not with your body. (laughs) Because that's what the world tells you. Open your legs. No, 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 no. Now open your hand and buy a coffee. Open your mouth and speak loving words. And guess what? People will be drawn to you, and among them, you will find that connection in the church that God will bring about. Mm -hmm. Amen? (laughs) Number three, uh, point number C, is God commands us to love each other. And I've already got there, but let's read here verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. This is amazing. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Oh dear, I have to love you. No, no, no. If God is in you, there'll be a natural response like the compass. you want to do it. He has modeled it for you. Now he commands you to do it. And he tells you to do it, but there's a sense that because God lives in you, you do it. I love what F.F. F. Bruce, the Scottish biblical scholar says. He says, because God's children have experienced such love, the command that comes to them to love each other is not the ought of external compulsion, but the ought of internal constraint. He lives in me, and so as a result, I want to love people. Marianne May Thompson Who has written a great commentary on this book of 1 John? She says this because God is love, love comes from God. God is the source of love. For they are not commanded to do something that is alien to their experience or beyond their ability to learn and to do. Like the electricity running through the electrical wires, love comes from God to us, then flows through us to others in the community. You know what he's literally saying here in this passage that we just read? No one has seen God, but if you want to see what God is like, it looks like Christians loving each other. Let me put it another way. If you have never seen God, come to church and go to a connect group or walk with the river's foundation and you will see what God is like. God is not the love in the wrong place, like going to a protest march and holding up a banner. No, this is in action, daily, in expression, in practical ways. No one's seen God, but God looks like Christians loving each other. We keep looking for experiences. No, just look for Christians who love each other. It's very quiet in this Methodist church. You see, there was a great preacher that I've heard preach. He's passed away now. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan came and spoke in South Africa, and great man of God, and his books being published, and he had uh, five sons, and all five sons were ministers of the gospel. They were all preachers, Uh, including him. That would be six preachers. And they had a visitor one day that came for dinner, and the visitor had the cheek to ask this question. So which of you is the greatest a preacher in the room and they all with unison said mother because mother had never preached a sermon in her life but she had lived that sermon of love in that family that everybody knew without a doubt mom is the one that's what love looks like it's not just information it's much, much more number three are you still good? gosh the time is gone I've got to wrap up here Number three, he says we must live in God. And now he explains how we must stay connected. The old King James Bible uses the word abide. You know, like in John 15, abide in me. Here he says live in him. It's more modern language. And I'm going to read this quickly because the time is running out. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So how do you want to know how you're saved? The Holy Spirit will tell you whether you're connected to God or not. And you need to stay connected, not just carry on living your life as you like. Because if you're not careful, you can end up being separated from God's love. That's why we confess our sins. I'm going to jump in here. He now talks about two things. And he says here from verse 16, And so we know, notice the word know, because the Gnostics thought they knew, and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And let let me not run too fast here. He says we rely on the love God has for us. We don't doubt it. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do With punishment, just keep that verse up on the screen. Let us move on too quickly. I'll do this as quick as I can. He's saying that if you walk in God and you love one another, you won't doubt that on the day of judgment, God's love will accept you because you love the church and you're part of the church. And he says, in this world, we are like Jesus. In other words, if you walk like Jesus with the Father and you love like Jesus did, and you love the church, then on the day of judgment, you shouldn't fear or worry. You'll have confidence that you'll be saved. Are you with me? It's not about how good you were and whether you you didn't think any bad thoughts or whether you, oh, I had another drink and, you know, I was a little bit tipsy. Those are not good things, but that's not how you measure. You measure by the fact that you love God and He loves you, that you're constantly walking with Him and that you're loving His church and you're being a person that God can work through. That is your assurance of salvation, not your personal performance. You'll get it maybe when you go home. He goes on to say, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You don't know God's love fully. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Brother or sister. In other words, it's not genuine. You're not genuine here. He's talking about confidence and genuineness. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so, if we know God, love should flow through us. If we know God and love is flowing through us, we can be sure that one day we're going to be in heaven with God's children. We can't claim to be Christians and hate the church. And he said that before. We can't claim to love the brothers but never express it, brothers and sisters in the church. This is not telling us to love the world. This is telling us to love the church. And I can't emphasize that strongly enough. There are so many attacks on the church today, but God says, if you love me, you will firstly love my church. And while I do love the world and have sent my son to die for the sins of the world, the bride of Christ is in the eye of God and he loves the house of God. You see, God doesn't tell us to just love people in their sin. He wants to rescue us from our sin. Let me, let me explain that to you quickly as I wrap up and the time is, is, is going here. I, I was reading that in Oregon, in the United States, the uh, state of Oregon, they had decriminalized uh, hard drug use. You can't get arrested with a needle and cocaine, uh, heroin, sorry, uh, fentanyl, uh, fentanyl and uh, meth. They won't arrest you for that because you're using it and, and if you're using it, well, it's okay. So they've let people off hard drug use because they feel sorry for them instead of imprisoning them. And as a result, in 2021, uh, drug use was up 41% in that state. One in five people in that state of Oregon are addicts, and it has the second highest rate of drug abuse in the whole of America. And the overdose deaths in America in 2020 were 108,000 people. See, what they're saying here is, don't address us in our sin. Don't try and call us from our sin. Don't try and free us from our sin. Love us in our sin. Open up places where we can get free needles, where we can go get free food. Not deliver us from our sins. Love us in our sins. It's very subtle. Now, many of you, many, I would agree some of those things are good. But it doesn't deliver people. It just tells them it's okay to carry on like this, destroying yourself instead of coming out and believing Jesus to get free from addiction. Are you with me? And here God says we need to love people out of their sin, bring them into God's house, because Jesus primarily died for the forgiveness of sins. Now I need to close, and I'll close with this. We don't have time to read it. If you go to John chapter 13, you can read this sometime. Jesus wants to wash the disciples' feet. You all remember that? And when he tries to wash Peter's feet, Peter says to him, no, you can't wash me. And Jesus says this, I need to wash your feet. Peter says, no, no, don't just wash my feet. Wash my head, wash my hands, and wash my feet. And Jesus says this to him. He says, those who have had a bath don't need to be washed all over. In other words, when you're a Christian, you've been washed, the Bible says. You've been sanctified. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus, but your feet get dirty as you walk. So we saved and loved and have been washed and are on our way to heaven. But we need Jesus to wash our feet regularly because all of us get dirty as we walk through the world. Are you with me? We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.